welcome back to the show. Yeah. Filmcraft. Filmcraft is so awesome. It's okay. <laughs> You're like, don't, don't get an ego, man. This podcast isn't that good. <laughs> don't lie to it. <laughs> All right. Well, what is our topic today, Latif? The mental state. <laughs> and then we're going to break down some stuff from things we like. Yes. And it's going to improve you as writers and filmmakers, just like it did us. It expanded our minds, an awakening, if you will. (laughs) People hear it and they're like, that didn't help at all. (laughs) I didn't know this was a podcast about a cult. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we're going to talk about stuff that we watched or media we ingested recently that kind of reshaped the way we think about going into our own projects but first i don't think we've really touched on what we're doing to stay sane other than writing so what have you been up to during quarantine latif well because i can't go for walks or go to coffee shops or visit parks or anything it's really just about having a variety of things i can go to that even though they're all in the same space feel drastically different from each other so if I'm writing for like four hours. I try to do something totally different that is active, but also engaging in a similar way. Because you can just watch movies, but it's a very passive way of of doing something. I think you still have to like do something that's like exercising your creativity. So I had my electric guitar delivered (laughs) to my house. And then... um, From where? From my studio. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought you meant you bought a new guitar. No, no. I I just had the one I already have delivered to my place. So if I'm getting the itch, I can pick it up and just start playing around there as well. As opposed to just like watching movies. Yeah. And just like to preface this to everyone by saying we are quarantining just like you should all be. I got to get this, Latif. I got a buddy that works in a hospital, okay? Mm-hmm. And last night he sends me a picture. Uh, he lives in a very small town and he sends me this picture. It's him looking out the window of the hospital. The hospital is very small. It's one floor. I mean, it's, it's fairly large one floor, mm-hmm. but it's just the one floor. So he's looking out the window and there's three people standing side by side with signs looking in the window that said hero. That's an extremely nice gesture. But what you should do is you should go out there and say, thank you. We appreciate your support. Go the fuck home because hanging out at a hospital when you don't need to and you're elderly during a pandemic is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Do not do that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the other day I was in the car and then we're driving past the park and then we look at the park. It's a beautiful day and there's like seven people. They they look like they're part of some sort of sports team, and they're all just like sitting around each other. You're probably not people who live together, and they've all just like gathered at this park. And I just thought, like, this is not the time <laughs> to be practicing frisbee. You realize that there's a virus out there killing, <laughs> killing thousands of people, right? Yeah. Uh, we're in farmland now, so if my wife wants to go for a quick walk around the property, there's no one around for miles. You know. 10,000 miles, so she's pretty okay to do that. Um, I've been 
working out every day because I lost a ton of weight in Asia. I want to get back in shape. And I just find exercising daily really does a lot for your mental state, especially when you're all cooped up like this 24-7. So yeah, try to do exercise daily, eat as right as I can, and then I'm playing a ton of video games. (laughs) A ton of video games. It's awesome. And then, yeah, just watch a movie and hanging out with uh, with my wife and the secluded family now. Yeah, and and I don't want to, because I did mention earlier, like, you know, you shouldn't just watch movies all day, but you do have to watch movies. You mm-hmm. do have to have something to get you out of, like, your, your current, like, headspace momentarily. Like, I do find when yeah. I get a good movie going, I actually forget about everything, and I'm just sucked into it. Um. But you do have to still do something active. So for people who are finding they have more time on their hands, now's a great time to learn something new. Maybe you could learn how to play an instrument, learn how to write poetry, or just uh, uh, you know anything that that you haven't had the chance or time to. Even like taking like online dance classes. Who knows? But. I find the f- the act of like actively trying to learn something new is actually very stimulating, but it requires a lot of your brain power that you almost can't think about anything else when you're trying to learn something new. It's very cons- all-consuming in a way. So it's a great time to do that because it'll get your mind off things. But also, um, when when things are all back to normal, you'll have something new that you can do. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more, really. And I think it's it's good to keep working towards something. You know, with us being filmmakers, we're kind of lucky. We can go and write for four hours, and that kind of is like putting in a day of work. As much as we love doing it, it is a thing that we're doing to build towards making a future for ourselves in this creative mm-hmm. endeavor, right? But then there is the other aspect of, like you said, the watching a movie and getting sucked into it, that escapism is really important but if all you do is watch media and get sucked into it that escapism kind of becomes like a prison cell and you're gonna go nuts too so you gotta keep a balance of it like for for instance i finished that script which we've talked about on the podcast before and then i was like all right now that i finished the script it's video game time i didn't let myself play any video games before that and now i'm Mm -hmm. going nuts on them and then i well, I don't think we said this on the podcast yet, but Latif and I are submitting to make a documentary. So we got all of that application finished, sent all of that off. And there's, if you can maintain some semblance of working towards something, whether it's, you know, doing a filmmaking at- activity or like Latif said, going out and learning something, even if you download what, like Duolingo and try and learn <laughs> Spanish or whatever, like, something like that to make it feel like you're progressing towards something instead of just spinning statically waiting for the world to restart i think it's a good thing yeah because you know you could go out to a hotel in the middle of nowhere and meet a housekeeper from paraguay and then regret not having learned spanish but don't do that for another like 12 to 18 months yeah that was a reference to bottle rocket (laughs) i don't know if anyone's gonna get that (laughs) (laughs) like two listeners like is he talking about Bottle Rocket right now? I think he's talking about Bottle Rocket right now. I love Bottle Rocket. It's actually one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> Have you seen Bottle Rocket? No, you've told me about it, and I'm legitimately interested in watching it. It just, whenever 
I think like, oh, what are we going to watch next? Usually my wife and I, it's like turn on one of the streaming services and I totally yeah. forget about Bottle Rocket. It's probably one of my favorite movies just in general. It's not even like some master cinema film or anything. It's just like this goofy movie about these idiots. <laughs> you know what? There's something to that. Like not, you don't, not everything has to be this amazing work of art that subverts everything. Like if you have a movie where you just have a blast watching it, that is a great thing too. And it's really, it's still for an independent film that's just like this kind of weird comedy. It's still much better made than a lot of films in that category. Like the, the film is put together very well compared mm. to a lot of other films. But the, the ending sequence is probably my favorite. It's so funny. Oh, I'm going to have to check it out. It's in a tab on my computer now, Bottle Rocket Amazon. So it's going to go down. Yeah. Also, you know what? It, it probably just comes from a place of jealousy. Actually, not probably. It 100% comes from a place of jealousy. But when I look up people's like first movies and it's like, budget $5 million, I'm like, oh, oh, my first movie had that if you take away three zeros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up the not going nuts during quarantine topic. And bottom line, keep yourself stimulated and don't be a goddamn moron. Stay inside. Uh, we're going to break down some things that we've seen that we think are going to give you some insight and some tools into writing better. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think we should start with your example. Yeah, so so people have a reference. This is a, a scene from The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, directed by David Fincher and written by Eric Roth. And, uh, yeah, I'll play the clip. Would you like to have dinner? Did I tell you that I dance for Balanchine? Oh, he's a famous choreographer. He said that I had perfect line. You know, in a rehearsal once, <laughs> a dancer failed. And he just, he just put it right into the production. I mean, can you imagine that? Like in a, in a classical ballet, you know, a dancer oh, tensionally falling. It's a whole new word for dance now. It's called abstract. No, he's not the only one, though. There's uh, Lincoln Kirstein and Lucia Chase. And, oh, my God. Oh, it's Agnes DeMille. She's just torn up all those conventions. You know, all that straight up and down stuff. It's not about the formality of the dance. It's about the dance. And she told me about this big new world. Names that didn't mean a thing to me. I didn't really hear very much of what she was saying. It's new and it's modern and it's American. And they understand our vigor and our physicality. Oh, my God. I've just been talking and talking. No, no, I've enjoyed listening. I didn't know you smoked. I'm old enough. I'm old enough for a lot of things. <laughs> What's going on? So as the voiceover is happening and, and we hear her talking about all her experiences, we're seeing all this happen in slow motion. Um, even the actual dinner when they're sitting down, it's in slow motion. You're just seeing moments of the of the conversation and the night. Um, and when I was watching this scene, um, knowing the director was David Fincher, I thought, like, how how did they choose to put this together? Like, what was the 
what was the actual choice of like making all of this in slow motion and just seeing moments from the night and just moments from the dinner as if we're only getting glimpses of what it was like for them. But it, it also feeling very fleeting, like it goes by pretty quickly. Um, and you only get like the, the punctuation marks of the night and then it exits and they go to the park. And I thought that that must have been like a directorial choice because knowing David Fincher, he'd, he'd have like that kind of power. Um, but also insight to do something like that. But when I actually read the screenplay, the very long screenplay, um, and I got to that scene, it was all written as you see it on the screen. And I was really surprised by that because in my head I thought, oh, that's probably like a choice a director would make. Um, just knowing everything involved, but it turns out Eric Roth wrote the scene like that in the script. So it says in slow motion, um, a cab pulls up and then you see all this action happen. And then you hear Kate Blanchett speaking as Daisy in voiceover over all the images and is written that way in the script. And I thought, wow, that's so interesting. It, that was a choice made in the writing process that led to it be, being shot exactly the same way. And I thought, what would, what would the reason behind that be? And I, and I thought about like the relationship between the characters and how it unfolds throughout the story. And I think it's one of those moments that shows, um, how time is fleeting in a way and and that night as beautiful as it was and as um memorable as it was in those like slow motion moments and the expressions that you see it does go by almost in a fleeting way very fast and it and it ends with that last scene in the park and i think that was the point of it it's like you just get like words and memories and moments and images and then it's kind of gone and it was written that way for two reasons to show that the night was kind of like this dreamlike thing, but also in a weird way to show that that moment in an interesting way. Because if you did that scene the conventional way, without it being in slow motion, without this kind of voiceover and this dreamlike feeling to it, and the, and the slow music, it would have just come off really boring. It would have been Benjamin and Daisy at a table, and then them going, "How you been?" It's good. <laughs> I've been dancing. <laughs> and then just like six more minutes of that, which would have been really, really boring. Um, I'm, you know, I'm sure they, they would have done an okay job of that as well. But the choice to actually do it in the way they did made it extremely, um, interesting. It elevated the scene and it made it much more emotional. It made it much more connected. And it made it impactful. And it, and the way it led up to the final scene, I, I felt like it really added to the overall tone of the whole night. It was, it was really, uh, masterful, I think. And it's not just the director. I think, you know, you couldn't ask for a better director to put that together, but it also came from the mind of the screenwriter who did an amazing job of like getting it across on the page. So I think it's this kind of synergy and this combination of like a really, strong writer who had like a unique point of view and then a really talented director who was able to execute my recent viewing of it i almost love it even more and i think of it even more as one of one of fincher's best films and i know that's a very controversial thing to say because most people know <laughs> fincher for like fight club seven um dragon tattoo zodiac this extremely dark extremely violent films um and I, I put Benjamin Button in there, but part of me is like, there's something to that movie that is so perfect. 
the way it's put together. There's there's so much built into that film and the world is so rich that it's hard for me to like watch that movie and not have really intense emotions attached to it. It's just a great viewing experience for me personally. So I got two questions for you. One yeah. is how did that scene hit you this time when you were watching it? So actually, I guess we need to have a question before that. Did you watch it again first or did you read the screenplay, then rewatch it again? No, I watched um, the film first. I had, okay. I didn't so, have an intention to, to read the script and then watch the movie. So when you're watching it, how did that scene hit you as you're watching it? Before you did the deep dive into the script and kind of thought about it more. You know, the, when when you go into slow motion, it's very specific and very... Um, it's hard not to notice because it's such a specific tool to use. So, you know, when, when you see everything go into slow motion, you're like, oh, what's the reason? Like, what's the point of this? And it's supposed to evoke a feeling. It's supposed to, it's supposed to slow things down, give you more time to look at what's going on but also it, it it almost makes things dreamlike because slow motion in itself there's something kind of like strange about it because no one sees the world in that way it's an invention of the you know the form of cinema so when you're seeing it it's so eye-catching um and it, it brings you to a different place and it makes you really think your mind starts to go because when i'm watching it and it's in slow motion and and this is all happening at this slow pace but almost in a weird way sped up because it's cut together in a, in a way that feels like it's going faster it 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 makes your mind kind of work and think like why why is why is it happening like this um after the fact but as i was watching it, i think all i was thinking was oh this this night is going by so fast and you know you want them to embrace each other and and want this like kind of moment but it just never happens um, in that dinner and and by the time it gets to the end of the the scene before they go to the park it goes back to normal speed and you see them like have a final exchange um and you see like uh her like take out a cigarette and he's kind of surprised by it, like oh um i didn't know you smoked and then it, it, it's all kind of um boiling down to like singular moment where it's like oh you've changed it's like you you see they see each other, but they they know that there's something different about them. And I thought that was all really interesting. After you did your deep dive into this, you know, read the script, really thought about it, and ingested this scene. Do you feel it's going to inform any of your future work? Like, did do you get ideas looking at it of, oh man, I bet you I could borrow inspiration from this to do this scene in this way? Did it inform the way you're going to go about making movies in the future? For sure, I I think. It, it's a great example of a way to write in a way that is completely against the conventional way of doing something. With this story, with Benjamin Button, his life is incredibly interesting. So everything he goes through, all the places he goes to and the people he meets, it's all ex incredibly interesting because it's all new and, and so foreign. But him going to a dinner with an old friend at a restaurant, that's kind of like, eh. We've met both of these people before. Um, they're not doing anything active. They're just sitting and talking. And in general, like we don't get anything new from it. So instead of trying to make it as like 
straightforward as possible. Let's make it more about the emotional moment between them. So when you use that device in writing and you make it more about the feeling, the tone, the atmosphere, and the speed of things, it makes it really more engaging and it makes it more impactful. As opposed to just like, let's have them expositionally explain what their lives have been. Whereas when you get the excitement of her trying to talk about what she's going through and the speed that she's going, it becomes more impactful. You can see from her expression and her conversation that she's talking about like I'm living like I'm having a great time I'm experiencing all these things and she's like exploding with this energy um it's shown through images and little you know moments and sound bites as opposed to just like let me tell you everything I've been doing in the most boring way possible so it's a tool to do something different where you can use visual storytelling in a way to your advantage that I think most writers might forget that you can do. There's other tools in your arsenal to tell your story other than just two people sitting down and saying, I feel like this. How do you feel? I also feel like this. A hundred percent. Yeah. When I was reading the script for Benjamin Button, I I was writing myself and I was also in this curious mode of you know i can read professional scripts and they're all going to be pretty damn good but i I was really curious about like i just want to read other people's scripts that are like getting a a gauge for what's out there so i went to reddit and i I went to read my screenplay or whatever else threads there are Mm -hmm. and i just started going through all these people who are like read my script and i was i was looking through a bunch of the screenplays and i'm like man these are really bad Yep. And every now and then there's like something that's pretty well written. Um, and, and actually like a, an idea that can become something. But then there's just a lot of really bad stuff out there. It's not because they're, they don't have like vision or foresight or anything like grand like that. It's just, it's just really boring ideas. The execution is this. It's like, you know, why we're talking about the topic today. It's, it's so conventional. It's not trying to, to tell something in a different way it's not trying to show you a new a new way to tell a story and it's it's the opposite of visual <laughs> because we're, we're making movies we want to um, show images and show you know a world yeah and i think that it's a lot of being a what they call baby writer right and i think that's where people, if they ever say, I have writer's block, I think they're just afraid of writing something bad. And I would say, you know, the people that are on there saying, read my screenplay, good on them. You have to get out those shitty ideas. You have to build towards being able to make something with a unique vision and being able to tell something in a different way. This for 99999999999 percent of people is not going to come on the first draft i mean sure you have some people that just pick up the form and they're great at it but for the majority of us you've got to write a bunch of crap and then you have to compare your crap to really good stuff and want to strive to be better than your crap and every time you write something it's going to get better and it's going to get better and you'll come up with more interesting ideas and within those interesting ideas you'll have more interesting ways to tell them as compared to two people sit down at a table at a restaurant and tell each other how they feel you know this is all just a refinement of who you are as a writer and a filmmaker and you're building towards being the best filmmaker you can 100 percent 
I think the only yeah. difference between me and those guys sending scripts on Reddit is I wouldn't send my crap. <laughs> and I'd probably <laughs> I'd probably wait till like my fourteenth script on its seventh three, right? And be like, first screenplay, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, My God, you're a natural. <laughs> yeah. I don't mean to shit on like baby writers on Reddit. I'm just and at the same time, too, I think it's a really important thing to either give your script to someone and be able to take in advice of, you know, this is crap, <laughs> or be able to look at it with a self-judgmental eye and say, I know this is crap. You need to have one of those two things or else you're never going to get better. Like everyone has the idea of the first thing I write, the first thing I make is going to be amazing. It's going to be recognized and people are going to realize how great I am. But when people tell you you're not great, don't be defeated and give up, you know? Yeah. And when I, when we're talking about Benjamin Button and, and I'm talking about Eric Roth, he is a master screenwriter and he's been doing it for a long time and he's written some really great movies. I think he wrote the, the latest screenplay for Dune, which yep. Denis Villeneuve is going to direct. He's written a lot of films, and he's a very, very prolific writer. But, mm-hmm. you know, to get to that place, you've got to write a lot of shit beforehand. So, But if you keep writing these amazing movies, it's like, damn, dude, you really know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's just like some, like nerd goes up to Eric Ross and he's like, dude, you know what you're doing. Do you know that? <laughs> he's like in his 70s. He's like, shut up, kid. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, I think he's writing the new Scorsese movie, too. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, the guy knows what he's doing. And he's written yeah. some of my fa- favorite movies. So He's good at what Learned he does. from the best. Sure. Yeah, I mean, reading, reading Benjamin Button, I was really impressed with how rich the the writing was and like how big the world is, but it doesn't do justice to the actual film. You got to see it for it to come to life. And my God, what a what a great collaboration! One of my favorite writers meets one of my favorite directors, and you get a film that I'm I'm really uh, crazy about. Who would have known that if you put the best writer and the best director together with a good budget, it'd be a good movie? <laughs> I think so. Actually, I think that's probably one of Brad Pitt's best performances. You know what's in funny? In my personal I, opinion. I remember when I was a kid, for some reason, the the way I interpreted the zeitgeist, like, and I'm talking like 13 years old, like young, young, before I was ever into filmmaking, the way I had saw Brad Pitt was that he was a terrible actor. He was just a really good looking dude. Mm-hmm. And then as I started watching Brad Pitt movies, I'm like, this guy's awesome. Why do people say he's a bad actor? He's so good. And looking back at it, I'm like, did anyone ever say he's a bad actor? Or did I just like see him on Friends where every acting is bad? You know, <laughs> it was Friends. Friends ruined Brad Pitt for you. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, there's something about him where he's this incredibly good-looking guy, so it's easy to hate him and be like, this guy's a total <laughs> jackass, but he's, he's, um, he brings something really weird to movies, because he's got, like, this personality and this voice and this kind of laugh that is just so 
unique to him. Like no one else can do a role quite like he does. But and there's probably some really bad shit out there. But when he works with the right people, um, especially I think for Benjamin Button, like he he would be he's the perfect guy to do it because he has this. I think in this weird way, he's got this kind of sadness in him and this weird like stillness that you don't quite see from him very often in movies. Put it under a microscope in Benjamin Button. And the way he goes through the film, he's so passive at times and just listens. And, and there's something to him when he's not saying lines, when he's not talking, when he's just listening. There's something to him. There's like something going on behind the stillness, behind his his choices is really what does it. Um, which a lot of actors, like, when they're still, you're just kind of like, you're a movie actor. <laughs> But <laughs> but behind Brad Pitt, when he's not doing anything, there's something going on that makes me think, like, what is he thinking? But um, I think Kate Blanchett's performance is criminally underrated, too. She was great in the movie. Yeah, she's a very good actress. Yeah, so the thing I watched was uh, Sharp Objects, which Latif has not seen. Um, and I'll give you guys a little bit of a rundown. It's a murder mystery HBO show. I think it's eight episodes, eight, ten, I don't know, one of those two. Basically, Amy Adams plays this reporter who's sent by her editor to go back to her small town where a couple little girls have been murdered and one has vanished. And the premise in itself isn't the most unique thing. It's executed very, very well. But the one thing that struck me, and I told the Tief, it almost felt like it was made more by an editor than a screenwriter in the sense of throughout episodes, you'll see just images of pretty, well, I mean, when you first interpret them, they're very random things that will later make sense, you know, at the end of the episode, at the end of the series. And just by using these images, you know, they're often very close up or they're wider of locations that you have no idea where this is or what you have no context, context for anything. You don't understand it at first, but what you do understand is that it's trying to sear those images into your head and bring you into this world of curiosity. So I remember watching it and this happens pretty well every episode, just thinking this is like level two of screenwriting. This is where Charmander becomes Charmeleon and everything just takes this whole new level because where we talk about you can go into a scene and it can be two people talking and you know, it's totally fine. In fact, it's very often necessary, at least a couple times in the story you're telling. But when you can do it with just strict visuals and do it in a way that ties into the emotion of the character. So very often it'll be Amy Adams. You can tell something's going on with her past and then it'll flash to like this creepy shed in the woods that's all run down or it'll be still images of like old um, porn magazines that are hung up on a wall and you don't really understand the images themselves but you understand that that's what amy adams is thinking about and the thing she does after the audience has shown those images will kind of relate to the way those images affect her even though you don't know what the images are you don't 
know how they affect her. You can just tell that on some level they've had a very, very deep impact on this character. And I remember thinking 99% of screenwriters and honestly, probably myself included would try and do that in a dialogue sense. But mm-hmm. this screenwriter and it's uh, Jean-Marc Vallée, I think yeah. that's his last name. Director. Yeah, that directed it. They do it in this way that just strict visuals and it's so enticing and so, I want to say poetic, but like poetic with imagery that I haven't been able to get it out of my head since. And I watched this after completing the last screenplay that we talked about on the show, but I know going forward, this is kind of unlocked a portion of my brain that I'm definitely going to try to bring to scripts in the future. And that's not in the sense of me saying I want to do my own, you know, murder mystery because then I have the right to use these images in those mystery kind of ways. It's me saying, you know, this is a whole other way of looking at something visually with no context, no dialogue, just strict curiosity and emotionality how do i bring that into storytelling and it's really interesting because i asked latif about this before i'm like have you had a circumstance like this and i know i have i mean other than Mm -hmm. the one i'm describing now i've watched shows like this before but it could just be you know this is when my psyche and my filmmaking and writing was ready to unlock this part of my brain with this story so i think it's just a really interesting thing to sit back and let new forms of media impact you the way that they're intended to when they're really well executed have you ever had moments like this yeah i mean i immediately went to the most recent film which was benjamin button but i think every time i watch a movie there's always something interesting to take from it but oftentimes you know we'll we'll put it aside or we won't think about it because of our, you know, initial feeling of the movie. If we don't like the movie, we're not going to want to like look into it or like remember it. So it's usually with stuff we really like, you know, recently I saw Sofia Coppola film called Marie Antoinette. Have you seen it? No, I've seen all of her films. That's the only film I hadn't seen. So I thought, yeah, maybe I'll watch Marie Antoinette. I haven't seen that film before. But I was, it took me like three or four days to commit to watching it. And the reason was, I, I don't like costume dramas and, and like period films and like 18th century France doesn't sound too interesting to me. But I ended up watching the film and I was pleasantly surprised because it felt so refreshing and so different than all the other costume dramas that we normally see. And I actually loved the movie quite a bit. Compared to to other movies, it had an interesting take on the story, had an interesting point of view, and even an interesting choices uh, stylistically for the film. But it was just like something you never expect. And then when you see something like that, you think, "Huh, that was like such a fresh approach to a film told in this era, um, or, or about characters like this." And, and it, it was kind of one of those like eye opening moments, like you know, costume dramas and period films from this time don't have to be boring and drab. <laughs> they can be really fun and energetic, and that film was just that. It was super fun, very energetic, and and had, like, a feeling that I think only that filmmaker would be able to come across with. So part of it is about, like, looking at other things and 
and seeing how they they do something differently that you probably never would have thought of but also figuring out like how do you bring that to something how do you bring that voice to something and with you know with Marie Antoinette a lot of it was music choices um points of view choices but also just like style choices like what's interesting what do you want to show what do you want to talk about um and and how does it ultimately convey the feeling of the character and what they're going through which is the most important thing yeah, totally. And in an interesting way, this actually loops back around to Reddit, read my script. Like if you post something on there, maybe you have a a murder mystery. Let's go with the example there. You have murder mystery, you post it to Reddit, and then you go watch Sharp Objects and you think, oh my God, I could adapt some of this and put it into my murder mystery and it would elevate it. Go do that. I think it's Quentin Tarantino said that good make filmmakers borrow, but great filmmakers steal. And mm-hmm. I think that's pretty true. <laughs> Don't be afraid to watch these things and just be like, yep, I see what they did here. I mean, don't watch Fight Club and then go write a script called Tyler Durden. It's not that kind of thing. <laughs> it's don't be afraid to borrow these techniques and the way that these filmmakers execute these things to make your stuff better. Yeah. And don't make a movie called Dialer Turden. But that, that, Latif, I told you not to say the name of the new script that I just sent you. <laughs> I, I opened the email. This is a screenplay called Dialer Turden. I'm like, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, the big problem is your character's last name is Turden. <laughs> and he starts this thing called Club Fight. <laughs> now back to the live reading of Dialer Turden. Don't you share my script. I need to post that to Reddit first. Uh, do you have any final thoughts to wrap this up? I, I'd encourage anyone who sees something in a movie that looks kind of complicated or or just like eye-popping and interesting, try to find the screenplay for the movie um, and find the scene that, that you think is interesting and read how it's written and and try to see if the writer did anything specific there to get that across. I think that's a really interesting tool. I find I do that quite a lot with movies that I that I really like, where I see something really specific and weird. I'm like, what? how did they come up with that? Then I'll go read the script and see how it was written. You know, with certain filmmakers, you kind of know it's going to be written that way because they write and direct it, and you, and you know it's going to be that way. But with other filmmakers, you know, David Fincher doesn't write the scripts that he that he uh, directs, but I always find it interesting to see how the writer would originally write it and and see how it came across in the movie in the end. So um, I think it's a good exercise for any screenwriter. Real quick, should we tease what we're going to do for next week on episode 100? Yeah. Yeah, so ex- episode 100 is going to be the one right after this. We started the podcast talking mm-hmm. about party stories, and I'm sure a lot of people are like, you know, you guys talked so much about this movie. We've never seen party stories, but now we're going to give everyone who listens a chance to actually watch the movie. Yep. So it's going to be exclusively for podcast listeners. We're going to set up some kind of private link and it's going to be in the show notes next week. Uh, so anyone that's been with us for this entire ride can go check it out and we're going to have some episodes coming down where we break it down in more detail with you guys having watched it including episode 100 we're going to probably do a deep dive into a couple scenes and 
just lay out everything about them. Um, so yeah, we're excited to be able to bring this to you guys. And we love you guys for sticking with us for so long. So actually this week, I guess we're going to release 100 and you'll be able to watch Toy yeah, Stories finally. Get to see the whole movie and we'll go into like scene breakdowns, but also because visuals are available, I can talk about cinematography choices and lighting choices for the movie because I think we had some interesting stuff going on there as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's going to be a really good look into someone's first micro-budget feature, and we'll be able to get into, since we have this other realm of visuals now, you guys can watch it. We can get into all kinds of new things. And if when we're doing this, if you guys have any questions, you want us to talk about something, send us a message. We're happy to do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, we'll see crash. you guys at the big one double zero. The big one O. There's two O's, Latif. No! <laughs> <laughs> I'm Matt Ralston. All right. I'm Latif. Take care. And we'd like to thank Podcast Daddy, a.k.a. ACAST, for sponsoring this. See you at 100.